guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing, thankfully, pretty good. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Uh, thank you to everyone who checked in on us this past week to see how we were doing after the hurricane, Hurricane Ian. And we both, I mean, our area did pretty well considering some parts of Florida, Fort Myers area, that the Southwest, it was pretty devastating. Kind of unreal. Yeah. yeah. To see some of the stuff. They're still doing rescue missions now. It's it's unbelievable. Our area had a ton of flooding, which is totally abnormal for here. Every day we wake up with like a flooding alert still. We lost power for a little while and internet, but you know, thankfully we're fine. So I'm I'm very, very grateful. I know a lot of people have a lot, a lot to still recover from. So we are thinking of them. And there's really nowhere to go from there. So Mandy, without further ado, do you want to get into this story? This is different. And I know you're excited about it. I am super duper excited because it is finally October. And that means my favorite season is now upon us. And that is spooky season. Yay. <laughs> so I love everything about October and the fall in general. It's really the color palette and the autumn smells for me. But I also love taking in all kinds of fun and spooky content to really get me in the spirit. And what could be more spooky than maybe a haunted house. The concept of haunted houses is as old as time. It's one of the top premises in many scary movies and books and TV shows, and it's really no wonder why, because it's kind of hard to think of something as unsettling as the idea that your own home could be occupied by something else, something Ugh. that you can't even see, and something that maybe even wants to hurt you. It's definitely a very spooky concept indeed. It seems like, at least in the movies, that haunted houses are always older homes or mansions that have some dark or forlorn history attached to them, but that wasn't necessarily the case for the story that we're going to talk about today. In the town of Westfield, New Jersey, just 25 miles southwest of New York City, stands a beautiful Dutch colonial revival home at 657 Boulevard. The house, containing six bedrooms and three and a half baths within its 3,900 square feet, was built in 1905. Although this house has been around for 117 years, you might be surprised to know that it's only had about a handful of owners. Up until 2014, the home was occupied by the same tenants for 23 years, and these residents reported no strange or spooky incidents. But when they sold the house for over $1.3 million on June 6, 2014, things immediately got weird. Derek and Maria Bradis had been on the hunt for their dream home when they found the property at 657 Boulevard. Derek was originally from Maine, but Maria was a lifelong Westfield resident, and the couple already lived in town before purchasing this new home. Derek had spent years working his way up the corporate ladder at the insurance company he worked for. By the time they purchased this home in 2014, Derek was 40 years old and he had earned the title of Senior Vice President. At this time, Derek and Maria had three children who were 10, 8, and 5. Maria had grown up just a few blocks from the house on Boulevard, and she and Derek had been eyeing it as their dream home. After they bought the house, they began renovations with a budget of $100,000. Derek was handy himself, and he got right to work on the renovations as soon as the closing paperwork was signed. But just three days into owning their dream home, things took a bizarre and 
honestly, kind of an unbelievable turn. On one of Derek's trips to this new house to actually do some of this work, he checked the mailbox and found a mysterious letter inside. The letter was addressed to the new owner. Not ominous at all. That's totally normal. Fine. And there was no return address written on it. Okay, fine with that too. (laughs) It was postmarked on June 4th, which was days before the house sale was made public. The previous owners that sold the home to the Broaddus family had actually lived there for 23 years, and they never put a for sale sign in the yard. So Derek was immediately curious about who would have actually known of this sale and sent this letter. It was clear that the sender of this letter was close by because the envelope had been processed through a distribution center in northern New Jersey. So Melissa said that she would be fine receiving this no return address envelope to the new owner, but this type of- I would think it was spam. I would just think it was spam and go about my day. Yeah. Well, I think that I would find it ominous immediately, and it would make the hair on the back of my neck stand up really before I even opened it. But- Did we freak you Friday? Because this (laughs) sounds like- (laughs) the exact opposite responses we would normally have. (laughs) This would freak me out almost immediately. Uh, But Derek was curious, and he opened it up and read the letter. And it said, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? Nope. (laughs) 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades, And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. I'm sorry. Why would they be there except buying a house to live in? Right. What's the other reason? That <laughs> right. part, you lose me a little. What do you think is happening here, person? Yeah, it's it's a very strange, I hate it. very I hate strange it. letter to get in the mail when you're moving into a new home. Um, but as the letter continued, the mystery author went on to describe in detail what the Broadus's minivan looked like, as well as what the renovation workers looked like and what they were doing around the house. And they were not happy about what the renovation workers were doing around the house. Or was it the house itself that wasn't happy about it? No, Mandy. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> I can't accept that. <laughs> the letter said, I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk tisk tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. <laughs> I, I think the temperature in this room just changed. I'm getting freaked out. <laughs> But the most disturbing part of this creepy letter was when the three broadest children were actually referenced in it. It said, quote, you have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. And finally, the letter ended in a somewhat taunting manner when the author wrote, Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. 
Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. And this letter was signed in a typed cursive font, The Watcher. I'm sorry. This We're is a true story. Partying. Isn't this the craziest thing is that this is an actual true story that we are telling on this podcast. <laughs> I'm so upset about this. I feel like I'm sitting I, and now I feel like I am just telling spooky stories. But this is a real story. This is a real story and I truly cannot believe it. And Mandy and I make notes to each other, you know, in our Google document. And I had a lot of notes and most of them are like, <laughs> I'm scared. How am I supposed to sleep tonight? So good luck, everyone. So upon reading this menacing letter, Derek is so terrified that he locks himself inside the house and calls the police, which, yes, I agree, except there could be something in the walls, apparently. So I don't know if that's the greatest idea, Derek. (laughs) And so an officer shows up and Derek hands him the letter to read. And according to an article from The Cut, the officer actually said in disbelief, quote, what the F is this, end quote, (laughs) which is what I did the entire time I read this. So the officer asked Derek if he had any idea who could have sent this letter or if he had any enemies. Derek said he couldn't think of anyone at all. Before leaving, the officer suggested that Derek should move a piece of construction equipment that had been near a window so the watcher couldn't use it to break inside. So after the officer leaves, Derek goes back to the Broaddus' other home in Westfield where Maria and the kids were waiting for him. Derek was, as you can imagine, very shaken up, and he tells Maria about the letter and this whole situation with the police being called. They decided to send the previous owners of the house an email to find out if they knew anything about this watcher or whether or not they had ever received any letters like this before. To their surprise... The previous owners had gotten a similar anonymous letter just shortly before they sold the house to the Broadduses. Although the letter they got was odd, they said it wasn't really threatening at all. They got the letter a few days before they moved out and that it said something about the Watcher's family watching over the house for decades, but they threw the letter away, which, (laughs) no. Although I guess if you're the one leaving, you're like, toodles, I'm out of here. I don't know what's starting here. I'm not about to bring this up. So the next day, the Broadduses and the previous owners of the house actually go to the police station together to tell them everything they know so far. And officers tell them, you know, keep this letter a secret. Don't tell anyone, especially don't tell the neighbors about this, because everyone on the street and within a close proximity to 657 Boulevard was now a possible suspect. For the next several weeks, the Broadduses were on very high alert when they were at their new house, and they did have some more weird occurrences that put them on edge even more. One day, Derek offered to give a neighbor couple a tour of his new house, and while they're on this tour, the wife says, quote, it'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. Who says that? Who says that? Unless you're referring to a rapper who I'm pretty sure there is a hip-hop artist named Young Blood. there is. (laughs) Or was that the weird... Oh, Bloodhound Gang. That's what I'm saying. That That is such a weird way to welcome your neighbors. (laughs) It is. But also, Derek, what are you doing letting your neighbors in your home? I know. Everyone is a suspect. Why would you let anybody inside? (laughs) First rule of haunted houses, everyone's a suspect. (laughs) So considering, like Mandy was saying, this young blood term is a term used by the watcher, Derek is understandably freaked out. And I don't know anyone that's ever said young blood about children moving into a neighborhood. That just sounds creepy. Yeah, it sounds like you're purposefully trying to be creepy. Right. So in another instance, one of the contractors showed up to the house one day to work and realized that a heavy sign he had hammered into the front yard was ripped out overnight. 
And we have so much more to get into this story, and I'm a little scared to, but we are going to do all that after one quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. It's finally fall, which means for me, candy treats and sweaters. And for Mandy, it means trick-or-treats and ghouly ghost. But where we come together is that fall time or any time is the best time to play Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the casual mobile puzzle game that we both really enjoy playing. With Best Fiends, you can power up your favorite fiends to new levels to gain even more powerful skills and watch them transform to become even stronger. It's sort of like watching your own kids grow up, but with much, much lower stakes. Best Fiends is my go-to when I need a quick break. It's also the unofficial number one game for moms sitting in car lines. I'm on level 3,435, which really tells you everything you need to know about how much I love this game. On top of that, when my internet was out last week during the storm, I was able to keep playing Best Fiends, which has offline play. So the nightmare of no internet was made a little easier thanks to Best Fiends. Download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. With one of the best savings rates in America... Banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions, even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? Get started today. It only takes about five minutes to open an account with Capital One, and there's no minimum to open and keep your account. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One NA member FDIC. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about Oh, girl, the no. Watcher. Not that voice. <laughs> the Watcher watching over 657 Boulevard. We don't know who the Watcher is. No one does. It could be anyone in the neighborhood. Oh. Melissa, how scared are you right now? <laughs> I'm terrified. I even know what's coming and I'm terrified. I'm very terrified. <laughs> so although the Broadus family was on edge, they continued renovating the house and moving their belongings in little by little while they figured out what to do about this letter. Two weeks went by and they heard nothing else from the watcher. But in mid-June, Maria stopped by the house to pick up the mail and she found a letter addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Braddis. And their last name was misspelled in this uh, envelope. So this second letter said, Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy, and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what's in the walls yet? 
in time they will. Mandy, what if this person is just trying to warn them that maybe there's a termite problem? Hey, anything is possible at this point. True. So the letter went on to once again talk about the broadest children, even revealing that they knew the children's names now. This is probably the creepiest part of any of the letters, in my opinion. It said, I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. This letter specifically mentioned how one of the children had been using an easel in the enclosed porch, and the watcher asked if she is the artist in the family. Nope. It went on to say, quote, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic, or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher, and I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Braddis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy, happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. Okay, but why does he feel the need to say, who am I again? We know who you are. Right, you're the watcher. We're not getting, yeah, (laughs) we're not getting several of these. It's just the one, buddy, and you're freaking us out. Right. So the watcher went on about how the Broadduses were hurting the house by doing these renovations and changing it, and he lamented, he or she rather, that the house used to be full of life and young blood back in the 1960s and how they wanted the old times back again. The watcher said, quote, the house is turning on me. What spell did you cast on it? And things really only got more unhinged from there. The watcher literally started begging the Broadduses to let their children sleep at 657 Boulevard. The family actually had not moved themselves in because of these letters, and they never had slept there before. They had just been renovating and moving in some of their things slowly, and the watcher seemed to be getting desperate that they hadn't really moved in. So the watcher wrote, 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. After the second letter came, Maria called the police. She and Derek also decided to stop bringing the kids to the house entirely, and they started discussing whether or not they should even move in. And ultimately, they decided not to. Thank goodness. Yeah, I think I would also decide not to move in at this point. No. But then in mid-July, a few weeks after the second letter came, a third one arrived. It was dated July 18th, 2014, and it said, Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. Keep missing me, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So as you can imagine, Derek and Maria are beside themselves and racking their brains trying to think of who could possibly be sending these letters. 
It was clear from the details in them that whoever it was had easy access and a bird's eye view of their new house, down to being able to even see their child using the easel in an enclosed porch in the back of the house. The porch was actually hidden from the street by vegetation, which made it difficult to see unless someone was behind the house or right next door to it, which to me is like, unless you see a drone flying over your house, there's like three places people could be. I think we're starting to narrow this list down, but not really. There was some speculation that maybe the watcher was a scorned bidder who wanted to buy the house themselves, but that didn't really seem likely because there wasn't a bidding war over the house, and as we said before, the sale itself was done pretty quietly. The next thought, of course, was that the watcher lived in a neighboring house. Specifically, they believed it could be someone from the house next door. The owner was a widow who was in her 90s, but her adult children, who were in their 60s, also lived there with her. The family had been living in the neighborhood since the 1960s, making them the longest standing residents of the neighborhood. Their house was situated right next to where the easel was on the Broadus's porch, which is why they seemed like potential suspects. Police initially spoke with each one of the adult children living at the house a week after that first letter arrived. This neighbor, John Brown, that's not his real name, said he didn't know anything about these letters. But one thing that came up in their investigation was that John had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and he had some odd mannerisms and behaviors, such as walking through other people's backyards or looking in windows to check on renovations. Derek and Maria decided to put up cameras around the house and they hired a private investigator, a forensic linguist, and an ex-FBI profiler to help them figure out who the watcher was. So Robert Lenahan was the FBI profiler that they contacted, and he conducted what is called a threat assessment, and he concluded a few things. He concluded that the envelope was, in fact, addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Braddis with the incorrect spelling, and that the salutations included the day's weather. He used the terms warm and humid and sunny and cool for a summer day. It was also noted that the sentences in these mysterious letters had double spaces and that the literary style was very unique and specific and suggested that whoever wrote it was likely an avid reader. Even though the letters took an angry tone, there was no profanity, which Robert thought suggested maybe a less macho writer uh, was responsible for. There were multiple typos and errors in the letters, which the profiler said was indicative of erratic behavior. For example, the first letter was dated Tuesday, June 4th, but June 4th was actually a Wednesday. According to Mr. Lenahan, the writer of the letters seemed to have what he called a seething anger towards people who were wealthy. He surmised that the watcher was someone in their 50s or 60s that lived nearby, and he suggested that former housekeepers and their descendants should also be looked into in case this was somebody that was just jealous that they couldn't afford the house. The forensic linguist that Derek and Maria hired was unable to find any overlap when he searched local online forums for similar writing styles, but the linguist did say he believed that the Watcher might be a fan of the show Game of Thrones. I don't know anything about that show. Please don't come for me. I know it was a very, very big show, but I guess- they'll have to come for both of us because (laughs) I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. I don't want dragons on my television. Yeah. So because at first I was like, well, why would he like think that based on these letters? But I I really don't know. But I guess um, he was thinking there was maybe a connection because in the show, there are characters that are the watchers on the wall. And so maybe he was thinking that that's where this whole idea came from. I don't know enough about Game of Thrones to know if there's a connection. 
like I but said, you guys don't do, come so yeah, yeah, don't come for us <laughs> don't collectively. Come for us. <laughs> So other than uh, the private investigators and experts that the Broadus has hired, the police were also conducting an investigation, an official investigation. They began by once again looking into the family that lived directly next door to 657 Boulevard. The Broadus attempted to lure the watcher into making another move or sending another letter by creating a letter of their own to send to the Browns. In their fake letter, they said they were planning on tearing down the house at 657 Boulevard, which thought that they would elicit some sort of a reply from the watcher. But it didn't work. The watcher didn't respond. Police brought John Brown in for questioning again anyway, but the interview yielded really no new information or results. At this point, the Broadduses hired a lawyer named Lee Levitt. Lee met with the Browns and showed them all the evidence they had that someone from inside their house was sending these creepy letters. He showed them the letters and some photos proving that they could easily see into the Broaddus' back porch from their backyard, but the Browns were adamant that John was innocent and he had nothing to do with this. The letters themselves were examined, but they found no fingerprints on them and there was no digital trail either. DNA found on the envelope was, however, linked to a woman. This DNA was tested again against one of the members of the Brown family, but it was not a match. Police also tested Maria's DNA for comparison, and it was also not a match. After hitting really nothing but dead ends, the investigation was pretty much over by the end of 2014, and they were no closer to figuring out who sent these letters. Eventually, the Brown family were all ruled out as suspects, but the why and how they were vetted remains a mystery. The family was and still is livid over the way they were treated and raked over the coals with these accusations about being the ones to send the letters. And I can understand if they are not involved in this and everybody's like, hey, these are creepy neighbors and they're terrible and right. they're, you're not safe around them. I can see how that would be absolutely enraging. Especially when that family has lived there for 60 years. You know, they've been there forever. So I'm sure they were yeah. like, what the heck? Like, why Like, why would anyone think we would do this now after living here all this time and have right. never had a problem? Like, I can see how that would be very irritating. Absolutely. So people in this neighborhood, though, begin to speculate that maybe the Broadduses had sent the letters themselves and created this entire hoax due to maybe buyer's remorse, or maybe they realized they couldn't really afford the house and they needed a way out of the sale, which that would be truly... <laughs> that would be the craziest way to get out of uh, buying a house. That's... <laughs> That's I don't crazy. think your bank's going to be like, I'm sorry, uh, right. <laughs> people were sending you mean letters. Okay, let's give you money. That doesn't make any sense. Another crazy theory was maybe the letters were fabricated for insurance fraud or for a movie deal. Now, that one actually kind of makes sense to me that if you're trying to like create some, I mean, in this, in this story, yeah. <laughs> that makes the most sense. Yeah. Well, and because you've heard of that where it's like a hoax thing, but it's like it ends up being like, like promotional the calls like coming for, from inside the house. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I don't think I necessarily am on team. They did this or that they were sending themselves right, the right. letters because I don't I, either. I think it would be a little strange, right? Like I think um, for them to be getting like the police and hiring people, like paying people to look into this ex FBI profilers and all that, people who are experts and could easily figure out that it was a hoax. They were they were the ones bringing them into this. So right. I'm like. It doesn't make sense to me that they would do that if they were the ones, you know, sending themselves these letters. So right. that's my personal opinion. But yeah, we do have more to get into and uh, we'll get back into it after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. 
Going into the holiday season, I'm always looking for something unique to get for people on my list. I've done enough gift cards and buying whatever's on the end cap at a big box store, so I know this year I want to do something different, but I wasn't really sure where I should turn. And then I heard about Uncommon Goods. Uncommon Goods is the place to get the most unique, creative, fun, and even personalized things for everyone on your list. There are things on the site I never knew existed, like terrarium candles and even make-your-own truffle kits. Uncommon Goods has everything from art, jewelry, kitchen, home, and bar, and you can even search by categories because chances are the gift you want to get your mom isn't the same gift you'd want to give one of your girlfriends. I chose to get the Just Ripe Fruit Bowl because I don't know about you, but my produce is never all ripe at the same time. And what's so great about this is I'm able to put the ready-to-eat fruit on the top of the bowl, seated on a beautiful maple tray, while things like avocados that are almost never ready to eat when I purchase them go in the glass vanilla bowl below. Plus, my bananas hang on a built-in hook connected to the bowl, so not only is this totally functional in a way I didn't even know I needed, but it's beautiful and it really looks great being out on my counter. You can find so much more like this on the Uncommon Goods site. But Uncommon Goods goes beyond things and also offers uncommon experiences, where you go beyond virtual classes and experience opportunities to have fun and connect in new ways, like with cooking or mixology classes and more. And purchasing through Uncommon Goods helps support artists and small independent businesses. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash momsandmurder. That's uncommongoods.com slash momsandmurder for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. If you love listening to our show, we know you love a good whodunit. And who can blame you? So do we. And if you're looking for another way to tickle that itch, do what we did and play June's Journey. June's Journey is a free-to-download game following June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries with twists and turns around every corner. Life is full of mysteries, like why did we all pluck our eyebrows to oblivion in the early aughts? And while I don't know that I can ever solve that mystery, thanks to June's Journey, there are plenty of mysteries I can solve. While enjoying the glamour of the Roaring Twenties, I can put on my Sherlock hat and help solve mysteries as June Parker, who has a much more glamorous life than I do. I mean, we can't all be solving mysteries while looking chic, but with June, I sort of feel like I am. I really enjoy playing June's journey while vegging out at night or while I'm bringing the new puppy out to do her business. I'm in chapter three, and what's great is there are new chapters added every week, so you always have something new and exciting to look forward to. You guys will love the beautiful and immersive scenes filled with drama, danger, and even a little romance. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices, as well as on PC through Facebook games. And now back to the episode. So we are getting back into our story about... 657 Boulevard. I feel like I have to come back with a creepy voice. <laughs> I know. It's like either that or you need to clear your throat. I can't really think yeah. it <laughs> All right. So the stress of all that was going on with these letters and with everything else was causing the Broadduses to have nightmares at night now. They were far too scared to even think about actually moving into the home. And they, you know, were really upset at the same time because they considered this their dream home. They had been looking at this house. They really wanted to put in the work and renovate it and move into this house. So they made the decision to move in with Maria's parents for a little while because their old home where they lived before they bought the house on Boulevard had now been sold. And so they didn't really have a lot of options. They told others that they were unable to move into the house because of legal reasons, and they tried their best to keep any rumors at bay. 
Of course, they were suspicious of their neighbors. Derek and Maria started having fights, and they were both extremely stressed out about all of this. Maria was even diagnosed with PTSD. After struggling for months with what exactly they should do, the Broadduses decided that it was the best idea to put the house up for sale. It was listed on February 21st, 2015 for $1.4 million, and their asking price was a little more than the price they paid for the house, but that was due to the renovations that they had already completed. When people found out the truth about why the family never moved into the house, nobody wanted anything to do with it, and the Broadduses had a very hard time selling it. So within a month, they lowered the price and made the decision to go ahead and disclose the letters to potential buyers. Okay, Mandy, you are going to buy a house and they there's, you know, they have the disclosure addendums on on these kind of things and your realtor says, "Mandy, here is a little thing you might want to know about this house. What do you say? Are you is this still your dream house or are you absolutely not?" I would absolutely not just because I feel like the letters were really specific and then especially the one about like knowing the kids' names and stuff, I would be like, "Yeah, no." <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Because even so, say, say you have just neighbors that are like way into your business, you have to live next to those people forever. Absolutely not. So exactly. I, I imagine it would be very hard to add that disclosure. I'm glad they did. But oof, I wouldn't I see that and I'd be like, absolutely not. You couldn't give me that house. No. So they continue to have to drop the price of the house um, again in April. And they did again in May because there were no takers. Finally, in June 2015, they actually took the house off the market, and they kept it off the market for a pretty long time, Um, not quite a year, but they didn't put it back on again until March of 2016. During all this time, while the house sat empty, Derek and Maria became outcasts in the Westfield community, which, as we said, was where they had already been living. They had been there for a long time. But despite this, they borrowed money and bought another house in Westfield while they tried to continue selling the house on Boulevard. After many attempts and a lot of patience and time passing, the couple's real estate lawyer suggested that they try to sell the house to a developer who could maybe tear it down and split the property into two lots. They even went so far as to apply to the city planning board for permission to do this, but the application was ultimately denied because if they were to split the property into two lots, each of the lots would come in just a couple feet shy of the zoning requirements, um, which said that each lot had to be 70 feet wide and there was only enough property for each lot to be 67 feet wide. So they were denied this idea wasn't going to go anywhere. So not to mention, though, none of the neighbors on Boulevard even supported that idea to begin with. There were neighbors that actually came to this board meeting themselves and talked about all the reasons they did not want 657 torn down, which you can also understand in a neighborhood like this that has history and all the homes on the street are historical and they've all been there since the early 1900s. Why would you want now them to come bulldoze a beautiful home that's over 100 years old and put two brand new houses in the middle of your like historical neighborhood? I would also protest that. Well, now I'm starting to think the watcher was onto something with them making all these renovations. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, renovating and keeping Maybe I'm the team history. Watcher. Yeah. It's like different to me. I don't know. But I can understand where the neighbors would be coming from. Like, no, we don't want you to do that and cram two houses in there. I would probably fight that also if I lived in the area. Yeah. 
Maybe not. I, there's not much that I will do. And I mean, there's not there's not much that I will do. Full there's not stop. much you would do. End of story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Luckily, though, for the Broadduses, shortly after the planning board denied the lot division, a family said they were interested in renting the house. They began their lease on February 1st, 2017, and within two weeks, another letter from the watcher showed up. The letter said, quote, violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. Whoa. Yeah, we got we got a little feisty here. Like, now, what did Derek we? and Maria even do? That's like, the, that's the craziest thing to me. I'm like, what did they do? They're not even there anymore. Leave them alone, <laughs> Watcher. And then again, it says, quote, you wonder who the Watcher is. Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the Watcher could be. Or maybe you do know me and you're scared to tell anyone. Good move, end quote. The letter continued, 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. <laughs> I made it more of an anthem. You made it more creepy. <laughs> the letter also has threatening language that stated that revenge was coming and that it could be in different forms like a car accident or a fire or a simple illness that never seems to go away. Maybe the death of a pet or loved one suddenly dying. I feel like some of that's just life. Right. So but why is he so mad at this point? I guess because he wants the young blood and they're not moving in now with the kids. Is that why the watcher is mad? I can't figure out why he's mad. I don't want to think about that. I liked it better when I was just like, this watcher's doing little silly things. <laughs> so the renters see this letter. They're completely shocked, but they agreed to rent the house as long as there were cameras installed everywhere. But okay, these people the might be. in the walls. Yeah, those people might be wanting to film a TV show. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is. Because why else They're would in you cahoots. move in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. So meanwhile, Derek took this new letter to the police, but just as before, there wasn't much the police can really do about it. In 2017, the Broadduses tried to actually sue the previous tenants of the house, the people that sold it to them, because they knew about the watcher before they sold the house. As we said, they had gotten a letter just a few days before they moved out, and they didn't mention it to the Broadduses, so now they're trying to sue them. So according to CNN, this lawsuit was over claims of fraudulent concealment, intentional negligent infliction of emotional distress, and more. The suit was actually dismissed in October of that year because the judge said that there just was no evidence that the previous owners intentionally hid anything from the Broadduses. Furthermore, they countersued the Broadduses for defamation, but their suit was also dismissed in October. In another weird twist... On Christmas Eve in 2017, multiple families in the neighborhood received anonymous hand-delivered envelopes to their mailboxes. These letters were signed, Friends of the Broaddus Family. So the only people who got these envelopes were those who had criticized the Broadduses online. One of the families that got an envelope said their letter was strangely poetic, just like the Watcher's letters to the Broadduses had been. This particular letter accused the family of spreading false information about the Broadduses, and it included stories about recent acts of domestic terrorism, quote, in which signs of brewing mental illness had gone unnoticed, end quote. I don't even know what that even means. At some point, it feels like Mad Libs a little bit. Yeah, it's like I really this. am I'm, – I'm lost. I'm trying to follow and I'm lost. <laughs> For sure. 
So shockingly, Derek later admits to writing these letters. He said he was driven to his wit's end and he was fed up with watching his people through these accusations at his family based on nothing. Okay, Derek, but if people are accusing you of writing letters to yourself, why would you then go and write letters to your neighbors? Because that doesn't look good. This is exactly what happened. He was like, oh, they think I wrote the letters? I'm going to write the letters now. Right. And that's somebody who has literally had had enough. Derek has been pushed to the to his limit. But Maria said she had no idea that Derek wrote these letters to the neighbors, which... Can you imagine being the wife, though, and being like, "What? why did you do that? <laughs> that has got to be the worst. Like, you know, nobody's talking to each other. You're going to be passing each other in the halls completely <laughs> silent for the next few days until somebody breaks down to say they're sorry. And it's not going to be you. Right. Maria's not doing it. <laughs> So finally, after being stuck with this house for over five years, the Broadduses were successful in selling it in July of 2019. The house sold for just under a million dollars, meaning the Broaddus family lost about $400,000. Eek, that is a tough hit. That is, but my goodness, holding on to that thing for five years. I'm sure they were just thankful to get out from underneath it and to put it behind them. Absolutely. Here's where it takes a turn for me because I was not expecting this and I'm very upset. To this day, this day, nobody knows who the watcher is. To this day. <laughs> today. As of today. In the year of our Lord, 2022, we do not know who the watcher is. The Independent said that many people in Westfield today try to downplay this whole thing or avoid discussing it at all, while others have altered their jogging routes to avoid going by 657 Boulevard because it gives them a weird vibe. Some people still believe the Broadduses themselves are somehow involved, but Derek and Maria have always denied having anything to do with it. Oh, well, except for that one time when Derek actually <laughs> did write the letters. <laughs> Doesn't help, buddy. But guys, guess what? There is a seven-part series based on a New York Magazine article about this case that is actually coming out on Netflix this week. We are so good to you. It's we this are. week. Yes, it is. It's, it's coming out in two days. Actually, it's coming out on October the 13th. So that will be Thursday this, of the yeah. week that this comes out. By the way, that's all Haley. She knew this was coming out and she was like, do you want to do it that week? And I was like, wow, we've never done anything <laughs> like that in sync. So this is great. Thank you, Haley. This series is created by Ryan Murphy. Of course, he's famous for American Horror Story. He just did the Dahmer thing, right? So this series will star Naomi Watts, love her as Maria, and Bobby Cannaval as Derek. He's great. Other actors with the role include Jennifer Coolidge, Mia Farrow, which I was very surprised about that one, and Margot Martindale. I am psyched to watch this. I bet it's going to be like the best spooky thing to watch this season. I'm so excited. I love all the people that are involved in this. And I actually finally saw a preview for it today. And I was like super excited. So yay. The Watcher is like the creepiest story I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, it really is when they're talking about these young children and young blood, but then also things could be in the wall. But then also there's like generations of people that have watched this house, but also this guy writes letters to his neighbor. Like, there's just too many things going on. And for them still to be like, sorry, don't know who did it. Peace. What? But that also makes me think that it was obviously just somebody who had something, something for this particular family because nobody else that has lived there since then or before then had any problem with getting strange letters. So I just, I don't know. I just... I don't know. I mean, clearly somebody was staking out the house and watching closely, which in itself is not okay. But like, 
I definitely just think it was somebody messing with this family, but I, in like a really terrible way. Yeah, it's like very strangers. Um, wait, is it the strangers? Yeah, the one where they're like, why are you here? And they're like, right. because you were home. Right. I can't sleep after even thinking of that. That's just <laughs> too much for me. Oh, goodness. Oh, Mandy. Okay, so I'm going to watch this. Mandy, do you have any other Halloween-ish movies I should watch? I've wanted to watch Mid. Is it Midsommar? And I haven't, but it looks terrifying, but I don't know enough about it. Have you seen that? I have not. Midsommar? Midsummer. No, it's when they I, she has those flowers on her head, like uh, Florence Pugh, and I'm gonna watch it. I'll tell you if it's good. You well, know, you, you would know. Yeah, you know, I haven't really even watched too many creepy things, but you know, I really got into the haunting of Hill House, both of the seasons that they did, and they are very creepy, but not like gory, scary, and they're more like slow burn. So I love them, and it's more like right. you got to pay attention to what's going on, and then you catch like things did you're like oh that's creepy and then um i think the well the first season i think was way better so if you want to watch something creepy i would definitely check that out but Mm. i don't think you do (laughs) i don't think i want that creepy i'm going to be definitely watching this during daytime hours (laughs) 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 absolutely so i'm excited about that okay well can't wait to watch this let us know what you think of this story and then mandy let's go to last thing before we go all right so this week for last thing before we go we're just going to talk about some fun facts about Halloween. I think we've done this once before, but I tried to pick ones that I don't think we have said before. So this will be fun because yeah. I don't know if I did either. So maybe we both went too specific and we'll end up in the same one. We so. might. Yeah, we might. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to start? Um, Sure, I will start. So one of the most disturbing things that I found out today was that candy corn had another name first. Do you know what it was? Chicken feed. Isn't it wasn't on my gross? list, but I saw it. Isn't that nasty? Why would they call it that? I don't know, but do you know how dumb I am that I didn't realize like the candy corn is supposed to look like, is it really supposed to look like corn? Yeah, it is, Yes, right? because, well, I, I've even seen like a picture of somebody arranging it like to actually right? look like a corn cob. But yes, that is what's supposed to be. Are you team candy corn or not, Melissa? Um, Listen, if it's there, I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to seek it out. I like candy corn. It's really sweet, but it's like... It's like perfect if you just want something to literally melt your teeth off instantly. <laughs> yeah. Listen, if you haven't gone to the dentist in a while and you're like, do I have a cavity? Eat a couple candy corns. There you go. You'll, you'll figure them one. out yeah. so quickly. <laughs> Save one. the consultation. You can just point them to the doctor to go. point to the dentist which ones are in. <laughs> okay, Mandy, name the Halloween song. Or do you know what Halloween song was once banned in the United Kingdom? Hmm. Think of all the Halloween songs you know. Monster Mash. Perfect. That's was the it? one. Was it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why was it banned? That's such a like, it's a harmless little song. Well, back in 1962, the UK felt the lyrics were a little too morbid. You know, there's lines like, from my laboratory in the Castle East to the master bedroom where the vampires feast. Could have been a little much for them back oh, in the day. Well. So yeah, that was that was banned in the UK. Wow. Yeah. All right. So this was kind of a surprising fact that I found. I found some statistics, and among them was uh, this one that I found a little bit interesting, and I wanted to hear what you thought about this. What do you think is the average amount that Americans spend on costumes, candy, decorations, and greeting cards for the Halloween season? All those things combined. First of all, greeting cards. Okay, um, I'm not buying that. any Halloween greeting cards, and I love Halloween, but I have never once bought a Halloween greeting card. So let's take $10 off right there. I'm going <laughs> to deduct that. 
Um, so a family, how much a family does? It just says on average, Halloween celebrating Americans will spend how much on costumes, candy, decorations, and greeting cards? I'm going to say $100. And really? Honestly, that feels steep to me. I don't. That feels I, Well, you know, steep I don't do decorations. You? you don't do decorations. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have a bone to pick. And I want to know who is getting away with only spending $100 on these things. So today I was at Publix. And I saw that they had Halloween candy on sale buy two, get one free bags. And so I picked out three bags. Okay. But one bag is like $14.99, right? So it was $30 for candy alone. I got three bags of candy that I put up in my cupboard, but Halloween costumes, you know, my kids have been showing me their costumes they want. And I'm like, I don't, I feel like I've already spent a hundred dollars between two kids costumes and this three bags of candy. And then I haven't even bought greeting cards and decorations. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the money for your greeting cards? I know. So I mean, that just doesn't seem, I mean, maybe, but then I also see that would work for me. That would work for me because I, well, I like make random stuff. I'll decide two days before some obscure TV reference that I have to dress up like, but my kids will get their costumes and then I'll get candy. Yeah, that's probably about right for me. So what is the actual number? $102.74. How was I so close? I know you got that right on the nose. I am very impressed. Wow. This is a big day for me clearly need to check my spending habits. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you like the holiday, like you want to decorate and stuff like that. Like that. I do. And I go that. always, I always it. put, co- I always put effort into my own costume too. Yeah. So that also costs me a little bit of money, but um, I try to do it with what I can, you know, with what I, I have. I mean, if you're but, dressing up for Arbor Day, like right. <laughs> there's going to be a problem, but I feel like for this holiday that you love, it's not a big deal. All you right. can do it. Do All it. right. Well, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to give you a hall pass. <laughs> Okay, so Mandy, in 2004 in L.A., people bought what thing that made such a mess on Halloween the city actually passes a law banning it for sale from 12.01 a.m. on October 31st to 12 p.m. on November 1st? What is this thing that was bought that wreaked havoc over L.A.? Wait, but you you can't buy it, but only in the middle of the night you can't buy it? You can't buy it on like – so basically on Halloween is when people were going crazy with this thing. So Toilet paper. Halloween hours, you can't. No, that would be like devastating. That would feel eggs. like 2020 all over again. Eggs. Is it eggs? <laughs> no. No, it's a um, silly string. Oh, well, that's just as bad. See, I was I was kind of on the right line of thinking, thinking like egging houses or toilet papering people's front yards True. or whatever. But those two yeah, things people do, do need. Kids don't know how to have fun these days. <laughs> Maybe they can become the watchers in their neighborhood, Mandy, just giving ideas out. <laughs> any children listening, please do not do any of that. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay. So, Melissa, here in the United States, we do grow pumpkins in a few states. Do you know which state grows the most pumpkins? Um, I don't, but I feel like I did at one point because I feel like we've done this or talked about it or it's another fun fact thing I've read. I feel like it doesn't make sense. Can I have any more clues? I don't think it makes a lot of sense to me either. Um, it's also known as the land of Lincoln. Nebraska. No. Wait. But Nebraska is – Lincoln's the capital of Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> I see where you were going with that. <laughs> Take me so, out of my misery. I will just read this little blurb. It says, if you're in the market for a truly destination-worthy pumpkin patch, look to the heartland. The land of Lincoln has more than 15,000 acres devoted to the gourd growing. That is in Illinois. 
thank God you answered that because I really <laughs> did not know. And even after all of that, they grow more than 500 million pounds of pumpkins each year. Yikes. That is up to five times more pumpkins than any other state. You know what? Honestly, Starbucks is working very closely with them from what I can tell from <laughs> everyone's Starbucks order from I've Illinois? ever seen. So yeah, for the state of Illinois is like getting money. Maybe they own Starbucks too. No, that's Seattle. That's Washington. Because um, everybody's p- uh, pumpkin spice whatever. Latte? Pumpkin spice everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we got disconnected there at some point and neither one of us understood the other one. Let's keep going. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mandy, I found on uh, Reader's Digest the costumes from the years we were born. And now that I know the actual year you were born, that helped a little. I screwed that up. So 1983, the year I was born, do you know what the number one Halloween costume was? Think of music- musicians during that time, the 80s. From before I was born? Okay, King of Pop. Get over yourself. <laughs> King of Pop, pretty much canceled now, also dead. <laughs> Michael Jackson. There you go. Michael Jackson, the year I was born, was the number one costume man. I'm getting my kings confused. <laughs> <laughs> Charles? <laughs> okay, man. All right. The year you were born? If you get this just out of whatever, I will I will decorate my entire house for Halloween. <laughs> if you get this without any clues, what do you think the number one costume was in 1987, according to Reader's Digest? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, my gosh. I feel so much pressure. Yeah, you should. <laughs> um, well, I know that I was a pumpkin for my first Halloween. Shut up. <laughs> But I don't think no, that think was pop culture. Popular. I'm not going to give it to you now, but like, forget it. I'm not decorating Cindy my house. Lauper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was a TV show. It was an alien kind of thing. The first letter in it actually means alien. <laughs> what? I'm going to have to do a lot of editing on this one. No, I don't know. Okay, let's see if you even know what this is. Mandy, have you ever heard of ALF? No. The show Alf you haven't heard of? No. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't remember. It means alien something. You've seen it. Alien life form. That's what it means. He's a little brown looking dude. <laughs> no, I have not seen that. I'm so tired of you and your youth. <laughs> I- <laughs> this is too far. Okay, yeah. I so was, it was just Alf. a newly born child when that was on television. You were just a little baby. Um, I yeah, I know. But <laughs> anyway, so if you ever wanted to know, also, if Alf was the number one thing in your year you were born, you're not that young. <laughs> I got to be honest. I'm feeling pretty good now. I would maybe I should do a throwback and go as Alf this year. <laughs> please, please do that. <laughs> I want to go as Adam Sandler or something. I'm trying to figure out like a a punny way to do Adam Sandler. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You will. I have faith. You always have Thank the best you. costumes. <laughs> I'm the most random, that's for sure. Okay, Mandy, that's it. My gosh, that's it for these people. All right. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Please let us know your thoughts on The Watcher. And please watch The Watcher on Netflix. I'm going to be watching it, and I will be. We are not about sponsored it. by The Watcher. We're not sponsored boy, by are Netflix gonna get them at some all. Views. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, that is it for this week. We will be back next week, same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.